this is Tom Fox. I would like to welcome you to a five-part conversation with K2 Intelligence Finn on navigating an increasingly complex sanctions landscape. This podcast series is sponsored by K2 Intelligence Finn. In this conversation, I'm joined by Adam Frey. Adam is a managing director at K2 Intelligence Finn, working across both financial crimes, risk, and compliance, investigations, and disputes practices. As a key member of the firm's independent consultant team, at the direction of federal, state, and international regulators, he works to monitor and assess global financial institutions' compliance with AML and OFAC enforcement actions and related consent orders. Frey helps K2 Finn's intelligence reviews of institutions, BSA, and AML sanctions programs. He helps clients mitigate risk associated with litigation, alleged misconduct, to ensure their anti-corruption and international financial sanctions policies and procedures. Also, Eric Lorber, who is the vice president at K2 Intelligence Finn, where he advises global financial institutions on issues related to sanctions and AML and combating financing for the terrorist compliance. Prior to joining K2 Intelligence, Fannie was senior advisor to the Undersecretary of Terrorism and Financial Intelligence at the U.S. Department of Treasury, where he provided strategic guidance on U.S. sanctions, AML, and CFT policies. He's previously worked at Gibson, Dunn & Crutcher, where he advised clients on the areas of international trade and compliance. In this series, we will take a look at the current landscape. In episode two, building sanctions into your compliance program. Three, so you think you violated a sanctions breach, what happens next? Four, a new exposure for corporates and shipping space. And conclude with what's down the road. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for episode four of our five-part exploration. Today, we're going to take up a really interesting topic of new exposure for commercial corporations and in the shipping space. Uh, I'm joined again by Eric Lorber. Eric, first of all, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be back. Eric, very recently, uh, literally within the past several weeks, the Department of State, Treasury, and Coast Guard came together uh, to issue some new guidance. First of all, I've never seen those three, either departments or government agencies and uh, the Coast Guard, come together to issue guidance, but it was also directed in an area I had not seen before. Uh, What were sort of your views on these three uh, groups coming together, and what does it all mean? for uh, compliance practitioners going forward. Yeah, thanks, Tom. So it's um, it, it has been uh, quite a, an interesting um, month and a half um, or, uh, around for, for those operating in the maritime sector, um, in large part because of this new guidance. Everyone sort of knew it was coming. It had been fairly um, clearly telegraphed that uh, substantial guidance was coming out. But I think that the scope of the guidance, um, which is very broad, um, was... Uh, you know, was a bit of a surprise to many in the sector and just figuring out exactly what it means um, and how uh, these companies should um, should react, I think, has been is, is proven really challenging. I think will continue to prove challenging. Um, I think there are sort of, you know, in terms of the guidance, kind of three big points to take away um, uh, sort of scene setters before we potentially jump into the specifics of the guidance. Right. So the first big point, um, I think, you know, that that folks should take away from this is that the guidance sort of continues the march towards focusing sanctions compliance expectations on corporates and not just on financial institutions. 
I know you and I talked about this um, in uh, an earlier podcast, but really what you've seen over the last year and a half um, has been an increased focus in the United States and among U.S. government agencies to include Treasury, State, and in this case, the Coast Guard, um, on sanctions compliance in, in the corporate space, right? And so traditionally that's been you know, there's been a huge focus on financial institutions because they are the gatekeepers of the international financial system. And so if you can, you know, push them to um, to ensure that they and their clients and their counterparties are, are compliant with sanctions, that you can do a lot of good to make sure that the system itself um, is, uh, you know, has a high degree of sanctions and uh, sanctions compliance integrity. What you've seen over the last year and a half is this kind of focus shift to a couple core sectors and a couple core industries that also serve in this sort of gatekeeping function, um, in a particular insurance and shipping, which we'll talk about um, in just a moment. Um, what's really kind of interesting as well and what's really challenging about this is, you know, financial institutions, um, they have deep experience with compliance of this nature, right? I mean, you know, if you're an AML compliance officer at a major bank, you know, someone asks you, what are the five pillars of an AML program? You know, you're able to sort of rattle them off, um, you know, from historical experience. You've, you've had, you know, a ton of work, been doing a ton of work on this. But the corporate sector doesn't really have that same kind of historical um, historical experience with it. And I think what they're beginning to see now is they actually have to begin thinking about what this looks like. And so, for example, last May, OFAC um, issued um, a sanctions framework for compliance commitments, and it had five pillars, right? So it had a, you know, pillar one was senior management commitment. Pillar two was, you know, the, the need to conduct a risk assessment. Pillar three was sort of the development of governance and internal controls. Pillar four was auditing and testing of the system. And pillar five was training. Right. And this is all to establish a robust sanctions compliance program. You show that list to a financial institution and they say, yeah, that's that, that's fine. We know we understand what that is. You show that list to a corporate or a shipping company. Right. And, you know, the, the question you get is like, well, what's a risk assessment? Like, I don't like I, I, I hear those words, but how does that work? What does it mean in my sector? And there isn't a lot of familiarity with it. So you're going to see a lot of challenges um, with you know, with and you've already seen them with um, uh, with these sort of new sectors trying to sort of ramp up what their sanctions compliance programs look like and, and getting a better sense for exactly you know what they need to do. That's the first point. The second point um, about this guidance is it continues this kind of trend of what I like to call soft obligations. So if you look at the the shipping um, the shipping guidance in particular. There are quite a few number of footnotes um, that essentially say, you know, this guidance is not legally binding. Right? These are not legal requirements that companies have to put into place. And that's language which is, you know, frankly, it's, it's similar to language that was contained in that OFAC sanctions framework for compliance commitments document I mentioned from last May, from May 2019. But at the same time, it's not purely, you know, just guidance. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is if you're a shipping company and, you know, you review this new shipping guidance and you say, I don't want to do any of this stuff. Like, I, it's not worth my time. I'm not going to worry about it. And then there is a sanctions violation. So you violate sanctions you know, inadvertently, perhaps. And OFAC comes knocking 
or the relevant U.S. regulatory or enforcement agency comes knocking, they're going to look at your compliance program and they're going to say, yeah, you don't have the things that we said you probably should have you know, last year when we issued um, our, our shipping advisory. So because of that, we're going to take a more aggressive enforcement approach to going after you. So you see how that kind of works. The, the guidance itself isn't binding. But if you don't abide by it or you don't sort of try to beef up, you know, your compliance programs to, to align with it and something goes wrong, well, then I'm pretty sure that OFAC will take the fact that you didn't take those steps into account when considering what to do um, in terms of enforcement, in terms of either deciding to engage in public enforcement activity or the size of the civil monetary penalty that they'll impose. So the guidance really sits in this sort of, you know, realm between just purely advisory guidance and legal obligations. And I sort of call it this, uh, this soft obligation space. And then the, the third sort of key takeaway or key point um, that I think is important about, about this document is that it actually um, is useful for clarifying just who in the maritime sector is subject to these expectations, right? So when it first began, you know, uh, uh, you know, percolating through that there was some maritime sanctions advisory guidance that was being worked on by the U.S. government, you had a, a little bit of a finger-pointing game within the maritime sector, right? So you'd have, like, financial institutions saying, like, that's not our responsibility to, you know, to, to figure out who the customers are. That's, you know, that's the shipping companies. And the shipping companies say, well, no, that's the insurance companies. And it's it a little bit of a, you know, finger-pointing saying, it's not, it's not me. What the guidance does, and it's 35 pages, so it's quite extensive, actually usefully breaks down what it thinks of as the expectations for each actor, each you know, specific set of companies you know, within the maritime sector. So insurance, financial institutions, shipping companies, ship owners, um, you know, port operators, uh, flag registries, so on and so forth. So in many ways, it's really, you know, it, it actually is useful in that it really does kind of specify what those expectations are and to whom they apply. This really seems to me, Eric, to call for a lot of uh, not only counsel for companies, but really helping entities who may not have had uh, a compliance program, a sanctions compliance program, or perhaps even a any sort of compliance program up to speed and up to speed very quickly. You mentioned the 35 pages of guidance, but uh, sort of what advice would you give to not just a shipping company, but once again, if I could you know, talk about my experience in the energy industry, energy companies have these sorts of departments. And many companies that might not uh, at first blush appear to be directly in the the uh, target of these new regulations, I think, really need to look at these and make a, a not only a determination, but even a risk assessment around mm -hmm. whether these new uh, regulations uh, apply to them and then what risks arise from them. So how can you help a client think through multiple of these issues? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question. And it's hard. I mean, because, you know, to the exact point, that you make, a lot of these entities don't have experience with this. There are places that they can turn, however, and I do think this is important to note. I mean, you know, obviously, um, you know, obvious places to turn to are, are consulting firms and firms that offer, you know, the opportunity to beef up sanctions, policies and procedures, law firms do the same. So there is a, you know, there's been an industry which really has developed, frankly, over the last 10 years, 10 or 15 years, 
particularly in the financial institution space, to sort of work through um, what a good sanctions compliance program looks like um, and, and to help companies do this. But, you know, there are other places as well. So it's not just sort of, you know, having to go out and talk to a consulting company. I mean, one, one you know, suggestion that, that we always make is if you're a shipping company, for example, um, you know, and, and you're working with a financial institution, which I'm sure you are, or an insurance company, what are, what, what are the expectations of the financial institution and the insurance company? And what are their compliance programs look like? Right. So, you know, obviously you're not going to have the exact same compliance program as like a Wolfsburg group bank. That wouldn't make sense. But getting a sense from them as to, you know, what they have done in the past to ensure that they are staying on the right side of sanctions, as well as what do they expect from you as a company? And the reason I think that's really important, particularly in light of this guidance, is the guidance actually says, um, you know, that you in the shipping and maritime space should ensure that your customers and your counterparties have robust sanctions compliance programs in place. So like, let's say that, you know, you, for example, in the maritime space are a, uh, an insurance company. The guidance is telling you, you as an insurance company, you really should make sure that, you know, those to whom you're providing insurance have sanctions compliance programs um, that are fairly robust in place, you know, imp implemented and, and ready to go. And so as a result, there is a, um, you know, there, there's almost like this, this built-in mechanism where an insurance company or a financial institution that, that you're contracting with or doing business with, they're going to want to sort of tell you what their expectations are. And they're going to want to potentially even help you make sure that your sanctions compliance program meets you know, up with their standards, because I was mentioning before, you know, they're not going to want to be in a situation of providing you services if they don't think um, that, you know, that your compliance, your sanctions compliance program is anywhere uh, where it needs to be. Right. Because that could expect that could potentially ex expose them to to additional liability. So, you know, it gives the opportunity for those operating in the maritime ecosystem to sort of turn to, you know, others in the, in the system to say, what are you guys doing? What do you consider to be sort of best in class um, for how this operates? And are there steps that, you know, I, you think that a company that's similarly situated to, to me um, is taking, uh, is taking an undertaking. So I think those are two um, important places to turn. I think the third important place to turn, frankly, is, um, is to sort of peer institutions. And I know this can be tricky, right? Because obviously there's, you know, a degree of competition between, you know, uh, shipping companies you know, who are operating the maritime space. They, they don't want to sort of give away anything that's sensitive or trade secrets and that's totally understandable. But at the same time, um, one thing that has, you know, I think made a difference in the financial institution space for a long time has been the willingness to sort of have back channel conversations between financial institutions about the way to address sanctions compliance issues, right? This has gone on, you know, compliance officer A calls compliance officer B, or at least there's some informal ways to talk about sort of what best practices are. I think the discussion for best practices among peer companies in the shipping space is another way to sort of go about doing this. So, you know, having conversations with other um, other shipping companies who are, are facing the same challenges can be uh, can be productive. It, you have to be careful um, for two reasons, right? So, one reason is you don't want to sort of reveal any proprietary information, of course. 
in addition, um, you know, there's a little bit of a risk that, you know, that what your peer institutions are doing is not legal or, you know, it's, it's not permissible, right? So the, 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 the adage or the kind of the quip that I like to use here is, you know, in the mid-2000s, most of the global banks were all engaged in stripping activity to facilitate prohibited transactions through the U.S. financial system, right? So they were stripping core information off SWIFT messages um, on behalf of Iranian actors, Cuban actors, Sudanese actors, you know, so on and so forth, to get it through the U.S. financial system. And a lot of them were doing it. Well, you know, OFAC looked at that and said, well, that's totally illegal and we're going to, you know, impose huge fines on you. So there's a, there is a, you know, there should be a natural reluctance to rely only on what peer institutions are doing, because again, if it is something which is impermissible, that will create liability no matter if other institutions are doing it. But at the same time, I think that is sort of a third source of information that you can draw on. So again, three sources of information peer institutions, um, sort of outside parties, law firms, consulting firms who have experience working in this space, and then those uh, within the maritime ecosystem um, who are, you know, who are providing services to you, in particular, for example, financial institutions and insurance companies. Eric, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but frankly, I may really want to explore this a little more with you. Uh, I can't really emphasize enough how much these new mandates have, uh, I don't want to say caused consternation, but at least caused people in uh, commercial corporations and, and companies that are not directly or don't see themselves directly in the shipping space as what it's going to mean for them. But uh, this has been a great uh, introduction to this topic, and I greatly hope we can continue the conversation going forward. Thanks a lot, Tom. It's great to be with you, and uh, thanks to the audience. Hope you enjoyed this podcast episode of Conversation with KQ Intelligence Jim on navigating the increasingly complex sanctions landscape with Adam Frey, Managing Director at KQ Intelligence Jim, and Eric Warber, Vice President at K2 Intelligence Finn. This five-part podcast series was a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network sponsored by K2 Intelligence Finn.